Sound of Hockey episode 87. We're calling this one, uh, you might think we'd call it the Sidney Crosby episode, but that was too obvious. We're going with Vadim Shipachev, who you may remember uh, from his long stint with the Vegas Golden Knights. What happened to him, uh, John? Well, he was actually signed before the expansion draft even occurred, and he was a top one of the top players from the KHL. Came over, um, expected big things from him, and it never really translated to North American ice. Um, he actually only played three games with the Golden Knights and then was sent back to the AHL and had a dispute, and finally they just settled and, and figured something out, and they released him, and he returned to Russia. And this year, he was a, a point per game per game player in the KHL. But uh, yeah, his uh, his career didn't last very long. Fascinating. Wow. That's it, an illustrious appearance in the NHL. So yeah. he, he didn't live up to the number 87 is what you're saying. Maybe Bummer. not. <laughs> he was born in 1987, though, I noticed. Uh, so okay. there you go. So basically, that's the thing now is if you're born in any year, you just put that as your jersey number and then people think you're cool. Um, Speaking of (laughs) Russian players that are coming to the United States with lots of hype, I remember last week I was talking about Kirill Kaprizov and how the Wild were finally going to get him to sign, hopefully. uh, Hashtag Minutia. Well, the NHL decided that they can't just have players slide in uh, for like this, the rest of the season, assuming that it resumes at some point which i think is complete bullshit and here's why because (laughs) and maybe i'm a little biased maybe i'm a little biased but the reason i think it's complete bullshit is because remember that every season pretty much there's guys that slide into rosters right at the end and the nhl is claiming that they don't want to have quote-unquote ringers come in but what the hell like Cole, what about Kale McCarr? He was, his season ended. He slid right into the playoffs and started playing. Who was the guy from uh, Gusev, right? That joined Vegas, like in the playoffs. And I don't well, think he, he did not play. Much. He didn't okay, play at all. But he could have, right? Wasn't he rostered? Uh, I don't know. Uh, no, I, don't, I don't think they ever signed him. I think they traded him in Jersey. New Jersey no, they signed him. him. They, they sign signed him? him. Yeah, okay. he was uh, one of the Black Knights that played with them during practice. But he, uh, I didn't think he they never actually signed got him. into a game. So here's my issue, though, is that this guy has the potential to be a star, right? The Wild have not had, like, a real star for a long time, and they haven't had much to, like, get excited about on an individual player level. Maybe now Kevin Fiala has been uh, starting to show some glimpses, but... um, I mean, it just it was an opportunity for the NHL to be like, you know what, let's get some star power over to this team and let them start to show him to the world. And with no fans and nothing else to watch, like it would have been a nice thing for people to keep an eye on. And instead, they just they're making it up as they go. And they're claiming that there's a whoa, ringer. Whoa, issue. whoa, 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 whoa. They're making it up as they go. They are. No, they aren't. Yes, they are. There's rules. There's transfer rules. Are you like literally think that? That they're making. I think so. Yes, I do because absolutely. Like the the main thing with the transfer is that their contract has to be up in the KHL before they can come over, right? So his contract is up in the Ah. KHL. They can sign him anytime. No, the season probably ends. There's probably a calendar, much like much like the North America or the NHL's calendar, where the the when the year is over, it's June thirtieth, right? Mm, I don't know though, because so then what's the difference with college, right? Like why are they able to? Because they don't have a contract. They don't have a contract. Well, we're splitting hairs, but no, I, I think it's that's, I think it's absurd. That's a very I think it's logical, absolutely absurd that they're deciding he can't come over. Explanation. Uh, I just think that the NHL clearly is out to get the Minnesota Wild. That's yes. what we've learned here. Yeah, yeah that's what are. it is. And, and I believe the, that for years. It's the Minnesota clause. I believe that for years. <laughs> but wait a minute, you're saying Zach Parise is not a legitimate NHL star? 
Darren. No, he is, but I mean, it's been years, <laughs> oh, right, whoa, since he whoa. signed. I mean, I know, and man. he's kind of starting to fade now. Like, obviously, like a, a exciting young town. So here's the thing, though, is that now <laughs> let's think about this, right? If the season next year doesn't start on time, he can theoretically go back to his team in the KHL, sign for another year, and say, "Well, screw it, I can't play in the NHL until December, January, or whatever. Anyway, I might as well do one more year in the in the KHL." Like. It really benefited the NHL by having him come over with the star power. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me why they would make that decision to say, no, you can't slide him in right away. When clearly there is a precedent for players being able to slide in uh, in these. Well, not in this kind of a situation, but like at the end of the season, you know, contract is up in KHL. They can come over and play in the NHL. I don't get what the problem is. Well, I think it should work similar to the trade deadline, right? You either have them on your roster now. In that case, you would make you would make the argument that you can't sign uh, college players for this season. And don't make my arguments for me, John. Well, I'm just saying, like that's it, it's kind of a hybrid rule right now, right? Instead of just all college only players or non pro players can come and play, but pro players from other leagues cannot play. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I. I think there's there's a case to change the rule. But the rule was not clear for this circumstance, just like we don't really know what's going to happen with the conditional draft picks and, and things like that, right? Like, there was some nuance to it because of the scenario, and they could have taken the approach of, hey, this is a guy that we can market, and this will be interesting for fans, and instead they just went the other route and said, oh, well, no, 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 we can't have any ringers come in, which is just All garbage. right, well, I don't, I don't think they should make rules just because it'll be like a cool fan experience because this guy comes over. That seems a little bogus to me, but mm. uh, I understand your allegiance to the wild, and I understand where you're coming from, but the rule... No, I'm impartial. I'm completely impartial. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell the, the way you've broken down the situation. Is really very, very non-biased, very unbiased. Have we even We're introduced great. ourselves yet? No, no not haven't. yet. This is Sound of Hockey. I'm Darren Brown <laughs> at Darren Fun Brown on the Twitter. Joined as always by Andy Ide. Hello, Andy. How's it going? I'm at Andy Ide on the Twitter. And John Barr. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. I'm NHL2Seattle on the Twitter. And we are coming to you from, we're still socially distanced from one another, but we are all in Seattle at our humble abodes. And we are going to start the show with a brief WHL update from our WHL correspondent, Andy Ide. Hello, Andy. How's it going? I thought this whole show was just going to be complaints about the Minnesota Wild being screwed. (laughs) Uh, We'll get back to it, I'm sure, at some point. But what's happening in the WHL for now? (laughs) Well, this is more of a CHL update than a WHL-specific update, but uh, there's been a, a, a class action lawsuit that's been in the Canadian courts for now like for four or five years which people may or may not be aware of uh it had to do with some former players uh in the chl uh claiming that they they are owed minimum wage that they're employees and that not student athletes and that they should be paid minimum wage for their time playing in either the whl or the ohl or the qmjhl uh the leagues all said no you're student athletes you get a lot of other benefits that would be more than minimum wage so the the they settled out of court this last week actually actually back in like february they just now announced it um the it's a thirty million dollar payout, uh, which I think is like each team has to pay like two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. There's also legal fees in there. The U.S. teams are exempt from this because it was a Canadian court, so so it's unclear if teams like the Thunderbirds or the Silvertips or the Winterhawks had to pay into that or not. Um, but the weird thing about it is they, they they're all this stuff, this big long drawn out lawsuit, and nothing's changing. So the the leagues aren't going to have to pay their players. Everything's going to be pretty much as it was. Um, but it's over now apparently. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting thing. It didn't really impact here as much because it, like, the U.S. teams didn't weren't involved, but it was bigger news up in Canada. It's a kind of a tough thing because 
you know, I, I see a lot of people like saying that they should get paid minimum wage, but to a lot of these kids, they just want to play for the CHL. Yeah. And they're not playing to play in the NHL someday. They're just playing because this is probably the peak of their hockey career. And it's something special to play in front of, you know, three, four or 5,000 fans every night and be on the road and be part of a team and, you know, get it signing autographs. Like it's kind of a, it, it's kind of a weird thing to me. Like I, I kind of struggle with what they're really trying to fight for when so many of the players love being part of the CHL. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I think that there are some things that they could improve on the education package of WHL or, or I guess the CHL offers, uh, you know, with, with how long you have to access your scholarship. But if you're not aware every year you play in the CH, a CHL league, you get a year of college paid for when you're done. If you don't sign a, an NHL or pro contract. So, there, there, that's that's what the, the teams argued that this benefit is there that they get room and board paid for while they're here equipment and all that stuff that it would that would actually exceed what you get paid minimum wage um, and then the state of Washington actually at the beginning of this lawsuit the state of Washington classified those players as amateurs student athletes uh, most of the provinces in Canada have done that as well and I think that was part partly a protection going forward uh, that they now have that in place as a law. So it's been kind of an interesting thing that's been kind of simmering kind of under the under the under the surface here for a while now. Uh, we now move on to an AHL update with our AHL correspondent, Darren Brown, kicking it over to Darren. <laughs> Hello. Thanks, Darren. Uh, our AHL update is that the season has been canceled. Thanks, Darren. OK, now moving on to our NHL Seattle so, update. Oh, what? I, but though, again, though, who was who was one of the better teams in the AHL this year? They it was the Iowa Wild. I, I know. I know. <laughs> Trust me. It's at all levels. The fix is in. Anti-Wild were they not, bias. Were they not the top team in the AHL? I think they, uh, they were one of the top two, I think. Actually, yeah. I don't think they would have won the league if they just called it based on who was yeah, in first sure. place. I think they would have been second, maybe. But um, they had a lot of guys that were having a great... We don't need to talk about this. That's okay. Um, I mean, it's a bummer that they canceled the season, but for all the teams that were you know playing well, obviously. Um, but I, I mean, I get why they did it. I just, at some point, you know, they're not going to be able to make revenue and all that kind of stuff. So just no point in trying to, trying to push through. Yeah. Now there is some, there is some, some concern over next season when they can start that, because like the CHL teams, they're a gate driven league and they would not necessarily be able to survive playing without fans as mm-hmm. the NHL would. Right. Um, so that'd be something to keep an eye on how this all impacts them next year. We now move on to an NHL Seattle update with our NHL Seattle correspondent, I guess, John Barr, John, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Darren. <laughs> What's the latest? Uh, <laughs> I feel like we should all be at news desk right now. Or out in the field somewhere, like standing in the field with a mic and a camera. So there yeah. there was a new update posted on the new arena at seattlecenter.com site. And the update is substantial concrete work will be done overnight, Ooh. Wednesday, May 20th. Oh, so, substantial. Yeah. Define that uh, for me. This is not just run-of-the-mill concrete not, work. Not, it's, not, it's substantial. No, it's substantial. Now, uh, the site <laughs> has a picture of basically the, the area where they're going to pour the cement, and you can see it's like a massive area. But I think it is kind of funny that it's like a substantial concrete work will be done overnight, Wednesday, May 20th. So good news, is, I guess. Is... They're pouring cement, um, and I'm sure it's significant, but... I'm not an engineer and don't play one on the radio or in podcasts. Is substantial concrete work higher or lower than exceptional concrete work? How does that? Ooh, exceptional sounds high, more artistic. Yeah, I don't even think it's on yeah, the maybe. same spectrum, to be honest. Yeah, that's a good point, Darren. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. All right, is that all you have for NHL Seattle updates? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about NHL on the whole? I know that there's been some recent 
uh, developments and what we expect to happen here with the league uh, potentially resuming, but again, we don't really know, right? Well, yeah, we don't know for sure, but there has been, I guess, quote unquote news, uh, according to Pierre Lebrun from the athletic that the, the players union and the, and the player in the league met all weekend. Um, and it feels like they're now looking at just an expanded playoff uh, field, no regular season games. Uh, 24 teams is what's been kind of thrown out there. So having a playoff uh, with 24 teams instead of what, 16, um, apparently there's a board of governor meeting on Monday. So by the time you hear this, there could be some news about either this or the draft. Um, the early June draft seems like that's now lost momentum where it had maybe momentum earlier. So we're not sure what, if they're still looking for later in the, in the in June or back to whenever the Stanley cup gets played. So there feels like there's some movement, but still, still, we don't know. It's all coming out of the, the quote unquote, the return to play committee and yeah. which is a lot of people. And, um, it's still kind of that, that concept of like hub and hub, hub cities, not necessarily four, but, um, there's still, I think there's eight or nine still in the running based on, based on what I heard over the, um, last week. Um, and some of those big places, like I think Minnesota is still involved, Vancouver, Vancouver Edmonton. Yeah. So a couple are still in the mix, um, but it's not it's not kind of set in stone. And again, all this is really conditioned on um, when and if we can ever come back in and play, um, based on health experts. So it's it's more like if the opportunity presents itself, that's going to be the plan. It's been interesting to see. There's been like it feels like some cities like Vancouver were kind of almost you know pitching the idea that hey we're we're good and ready to go like almost that like they wanted it to happen there and. I know the BC premier said, well, we could use all these WHL rinks that are in BC, like up in Kamloops and Kelowna. And, but the owner of the Dallas Stars, who also owns the Kamloops Blazers, said, no, that's not happening. So <laughs> that's not happening. But it was weird to me to see like cities and, and politicians like almost, almost you know, promoting their, their cities. It, like they're it inviting is, it to yeah, come. Yeah, like, hey, we're ready to go. Come see us. Well, it's going to be he, such a big draw. Well, but, it, but you might get some hotel revenue out of it, you know. I don't yeah, know I guess. That. Yeah. There's not, but there's not that much, right? Yeah. Usually you have these events to draw, Fans. not the teams, but yeah, but the <laughs> yeah. people, but it also, uh, paints a light on that city, right? Like I always sure, think about sure. every time the, the Seahawks are on like primetime TV, I always think about the ad for the city, right? Think yeah. of like the shots of the, the fish market, the, you mm. know, the, the water and the city, and it's usually nice in the fall and um, it's such a great advertisement for the city and people love it. And I, I would imagine a lot of these arenas are municipally owned arenas and that the NHL would be giving money to them to play there as well. So that might also be a motivation too, to yeah, have, some, have some revenue come in. There's also kind of a, that there's a border restriction right now in place, but yep. um, the league has connections to both governments and, and they expect that to be kind of dealt with appropriately. Yeah. What's interesting is I was looking at the teams that will not make quote unquote, the playoffs in this format. I noticed we're using quote unquote a lot in this episode. This quote unquote as a whole, episode. I think all three of us have used it at least <laughs> once at this point. It's, well, it's for the bingo card that we passed out to gotcha. people. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we should hand out a bingo card to people. So Buffalo, New Jersey, Ottawa, Detroit are, would be the teams out in the East. And then all three California teams in the West. Wah, wah. And, and I, well, but I think about the days when the, the California teams like used to dominate, well, not yeah. dominate, but, but be kind of mainstays in the playoffs and be a force. Uh, it's kind of a testament to how, how the Pacific has fallen. The uh, the Pacific was not very strong this year for the most part. Oh, you don't True. say. Yeah. A little, little top heavy. Yeah, What's thanks. the latest on the draft? Are they still trying to do it in June? That, well, that early June seems to be a dead deal now. but mm. it's It seems less and less likely. Yeah. I don't think the GMs seem to be pushing back. Um, 
And certainly, I think they need about a 30-day notice, so it's not early. Kind of a bummer, but um, because I don't know how they're going to handle it otherwise. Well, I I shouldn't say it's a bummer. I I could understand why they wanted to push it early and not to mention getting any kind of real content, hockey content on on TV would be Mm -hmm. nice. And Mm -hmm. I love the draft, so it would have been fun. Yeah, I I was Mm -hmm. all for it just because for my own personal enjoyment. (laughs) So we alluded last week to uh, the survey that you had put out through NHL2Seattle.com, John, and I know that we finally have the results from that, finally as if we've been waiting on bated breath for the results. I know I certainly have. Uh, We wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things that that were mentioned either as comments or as some of the specific questions that you asked and how they fared. So what were some of the highlights for for you and before you answer that i just want to point out that yes there was a comment that said less goalie gear corner but there was also a comment (laughs) that said more goalie gear corner so i'm completely torn um but i've decided to add more goalie gear corner this week so anyway uh go ahead and answer the question john well uh i asked a lot of questions and and the results will be up on nhl2seattle.com um I'm not going to go through everything, but I ask questions like, where do you grow up? And about 50% are Washington natives. So I thought that was interesting. If you inter- remember, we interviewed Russ Farwell, and he was kind of commenting about a lot of people coming in from out of town. And that's that's why the NHL is going to be so successful here. And I was convinced that, that to me, the WHL has done a good job that, uh, harnessing and growing hockey in the area. Um I like this one was what what statement best describes your hockey fandom? 76% say they're diehard. Now, that's people who follow me or on the Facebook page or follow one of us. So obviously they're probably already kind of hardcore if they follow us and not like so casual. Um I what do you, I don't know what you think about this uh Andy, but there was a question we asked about what would you like NHL Seattle strategy be strategy to be in the NHL expansion draft next summer? And the, the options were put the most competitive team on the ice in the first season, take a long-term approach, draft young and accumulate draft picks and build it for a cap run in five plus years, a cup run in five plus years. And then balance priority should be getting, getting the playoffs in the first three years. That was the big winner. 58%. Well, what were your thoughts on that? I, I think it's, it's a little bit, relieving to me to hear that because I was worried that with Vegas's early success that that inaugural season that people would expect the same thing here Stanley Cup playoff run first year but it feels like by people saying you know the, the majority of the people saying you know balance making when the first make the playoffs in the first three years that people have a more of a level headed kind of expectation about how this team will be just at the start so that's I think that's good news and we we also had some uh some comments for that section I'll highlight some of the funny the Interesting ones, I should say. Build a dynasty like the Red Wings or Montreal. Sound that sounds like a good strategy. Yeah, I and, yep, and I like how, what's I the like condition? It. What's the condition of those two dynasties right now? <laughs> yeah, I know. Quote but, unquote uh, dynasties. <laughs> and I like I like this one. Draft my son. Okay, Mister right. Roshi will do that. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah. Sounds good. Uh, of course, somebody had to get in a comment. Start with a name. Uh, okay, and then. Uh, and somebody said, don't feel pressure to match what Vegas did slow nice. and steady, which is kind of uh, validating your comment. So my issue with that, though, is that your sample size here is probably, like we said, they're probably more of the diehard. Well, we know it's more of the diehard variety of hockey fan, right? And they know that what Vegas did felt like kind of a crazy anomaly and lightning struck you know, 10 times in the same place or whatever to make that happen. So does that mean that like, yes, all these people that responded to the survey and follow hockey closely, right? Is there a bigger sample size out there of less 
uh, experienced, less knowledgeable, less seasoned hockey fans that's going to come in and still expect the same kind of outcome that Vegas had in its first year. Maybe, but uh, you maybe, never know. Yeah. But I think, I mean, I think even general sports fans should realize that an, an expansion team going to the, the championship round its first year is pretty unprecedented in any sport at any level. You would hope. You would hope. I mean, yeah. There's a, another question related to that where I ask, when do you think the NHL Seattle franchise will make its first Stanley Cup playoffs? And 51% said in the third or fourth season, Interesting. which I thought was a very reasonable Man, some expectation. Patient, some right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, there might be some of that that we're asking more. Yeah. Nuance. I'm not going to say quote unquote. I strike that from the record. Nuance. But, <laughs> nuance fans. A more, a more knowledgeable fan. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I think, I think they're probably the ones that are a little bit more hardcore and more vested and probably want it. And so I think, I think it's a good proxy, um, on the expectation. That's, that's what I think. So one more question that I wanted to touch on here before we move on from the survey was the question that I thought was pretty interesting, which is who would you like to be the first NHL coach? Uh, the options were Gerard Gallant, Mike Babcock, Peter LaViolette, or my guy, Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, and then you had the option to just put other and, and write in your own. Uh, now, looking at the responses and the data that you received, Gerard Gallant did come in first with 29% of the votes. Mike Babcock was second with 27%. Uh, that surprised me a little. Peter Laviolette was third with 18%, and Bruce Boudreaux, sadly, was fourth with 17%. Um, I don't know. Bad rap for Bruce, I guess. And then, John, I noticed that you had a couple of votes in there, so congratulations. <laughs> I know, which would be a complete disaster. Hmm. Yeah, Darren and I got no votes. True. Well, I... I liked the person who came in fifth, and keep in mind, this is a write-in, uh-huh. or excuse me, the person who came in sixth was not Mike Babcock. <laughs> right. So do we take that away from Mike Babcock's votes? Like, this is kind of weird. I don't know. This is unprecedented. I don't know. And the so. person that came in fifth, by the way, was Joel Quenville, who is currently under contract with the Florida Panthers. So that seems unlikely, but Yes. Well, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of these things were unlikely, but it was interesting yeah. to see. Um, we, we, we talked a little bit before we recorded about the, uh, got a, a fair number of votes came in for someone new. Mm-hmm. And so we weren't sure if that meant someone new to the coaching game or someone who's not coaching the NHL before as a head coach. New, or what new to meant. hockey, maybe. Just mm. new to hockey. <laughs> Which is a good idea because yeah. then the, the less seasoned fans can learn the game along with the coach. <laughs> hey, yeah. Right? Hey, and no, could, no bad ideas. Yeah, right. That would be like an interesting thing and then you know just for the content alone i think that could be really interesting it would be a new perspective a new set of eyes on an old that's right that is right (laughs) anyway good stuff thank you again to everybody that participated in the survey because we got some some interesting info on that and look for john's post on it he'll he'll go in a little bit deeper on um what some of the responses were and all that good stuff uh by the way we didn't mention this earlier but we decided that we're gonna do a surprise interview this week with a surprise guest. Uh, So we are going to get to that interview now. We now welcome onto Sound of Hockey a very special guest. He is the founder of NHL2Seattle.com. He's also the co-host of the Sound of Hockey podcast and a three or maybe four-time Greater Seattle Hockey League uh, (laughs) champion, Mr. John Barr. John, welcome to uh, Sound of Hockey. Thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I'm a big fan of the show. How come we don't don't know how many GSL, GSHL League championships he won? 
I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> do you count the summer season? And oh, like, I, okay. I, there was there was a time where I was playing on three different teams, like for a year for a mm. season. So it gets gets life comes at you fast there. <laughs> so the reason we're doing this, uh, obviously, we've been doing like a run of interviews during the self isolation slash quarantine time, and this week we didn't have anybody really lined up. So we thought that it would be fun to kind of get John's story uh, because I don't think he's ever really shared it on the podcast before and he's got a pretty interesting story so uh let's start john i want to go back to your pre-hockey days because i know that you were not a hockey guy growing up you actually were a baseball fan right and if i'm not mistaken did you not uh uh, become a pretty competitive skier all true all true can confirm Um, yeah i uh i loved baseball growing up i grew up grew up uh just outside oakland i would go watch the a's i'd play baseball i loved baseball it um, very similar to how I love hockey now. Uh, hockey was not was really not part of my life at all, at all back then. Um, and I didn't I didn't start playing hockey until college. Now I also you kind of touched on skiing. I was a competitive mogul skier for I think it was about eight years. Um, and based out of Lake Tahoe, and then I'd go to New Zealand for the summers and then uh, compete across uh, mostly the western states, but uh, a couple. Um, East Coast competitions as well, but uh, and Canada, but uh, that was a very different life back then. And was there anything from those days that sticks out to you from like, holy crap, I can't believe that I'm doing this thing in competitive skiing or skiing with this person or anything like that? Uh, I mean, like I skied with a lot of really, really good people um, and future, well, Olympians, uh, gold medalists, uh, big TV extreme people. Um, I was based out of Squaw Valley, and so there was a lot of that. And then I would go to New Zealand for two months, and uh, listeners might know the name Johnny Mosley, um, but that's who skied out of Squaw Valley, and he would come down to New Zealand as well. And then there were other Olympians along the road. But mogul skiing's pretty niche, so like I don't know how interesting that is to people, but uh, (laughs) it was a heck of a lot of fun. And uh, I thought it was funny. Uh, We didn't have it on the show, but when we got – when we connected with Steve Conowalchuk, I was talking about how much I loved skiing in Utah in Salt Lake City. And I would go there probably three or four times a year uh, because I lived in Reno. And so it's about an eight hour drive, which at the time seemed short. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, it was, it was awesome. It was a, it was a great, great time. Um, great experience. Like I, I mean, I loved it so much. Did you host a skiing and or baseball podcast back then? Uh, podcasts weren't very big back then. <laughs> so why did you move away from skiing? I mean, it, it kind of became a job a little bit. Well, it literally did. Well, I, so I graduated college and then started working in an office kind of five days a week. Um, and I was just, you know, getting old, uh, and wasn't <laughs> as competitive as I, uh, was. Um, but, uh, the mountain, the mountain, most mountains were pretty, um, tame and boring uh, hmm. because I'd, I had been skiing so much. And um, so it was hard to replicate that experience of the the adrenaline and go to like, you know, like really gnarly stuff, if you will. Sure. Uh, so um, yeah, I just, it's just kind of needed to find something new. And believe it or not, like it's probably around the time I started playing hockey. Makes sense. Uh, is when I shifted away from skiing, um, just needed to kind of focus my energy somewhere else probably. But I did, I did other stuff. I mountain bike. And so what, yeah. And so what drew you to, to hockey? Uh, viewing it, it, um, it was the sharks. Um, so the sharks moved into, into the Bay area, even though I wasn't living there. Um, it gave me a local team to root for. And Reno at the time was a, in the TV market of San Jose. 
and they had some early success into the playoffs. And I remember just kind of, oh, I'll watch the Sharks, right? Because they're local and they're in the playoffs. I'll, I'll check it out. And I was like absolutely stunned what playoff hockey was like. And and I was like blown away. I'm like, where has this sport been all my life? Um, and I just I just was hooked. And so, and every year I'd watch more and more. Now, there, I wasn't like a watch a lot during the regular season, but every summer or excuse me, every, every spring I'd be watching the playoffs like, like no other. I would, I would watch it all. And, and, uh, and then, uh, uh, ice rink moved into town. So I'm like, Oh, I'll just try playing ice hockey. Um, and I, and I think even being in Seattle made me a bigger fan of the sport because there's so much more access here than there was in Reno. And, and I didn't know what junior hockey was when I moved here and had no idea what that was. And it took me years to figure out what it really was, but it was, it's so much more accessible here than it was in the Bay area growing up and in where I lived for a while. So, so now you're, you're in Seattle now and you're playing hockey, right? You started playing men's league, I would assume when you moved to Seattle, what, what was the motivation to start the grassroots NHL to Seattle movement? Well, I, when I moved here, I was thinking about how great of a market this would be for hockey. So I moved here in uh, 2004 um, and I was like, this, there's so much hockey here compared to there was in the Bay. Um, and so I was like convinced like with the, ju- it's not just the junior hockey, but the adult hockey. And I know over the years, I've talked to plenty of people who are like, this isn't a hockey market, blah, blah, blah. Always <laughs> used to tell me no. Right. But I'm like, you don't understand. There was no hockey in the Bay area. Zero. Right. And you go here and there's so much more, not to mention the proximity to Canada, and I and I I've always wanted to find data on it, but I felt like there were so many Canadians here. Now, granted, I hang out in hockey circles, so sure. <laughs> surprise! It seems like fifty percent of the population is Canadian in Seattle, but but uh, I was just convinced, and so I researched what what it took and what it needed, and uh, to put a franchise here. It's a funny story. I it was probably during the lock at one of the lockouts where uh, John Butchergross from ESPN used to do a, a weekly mailbag on ESPN.com. And I emailed him. I'm like, Hey, what about Seattle for an expansion, um, expansion team or, or mm-hmm. for an NHL city? And so this is, it's gotta be like 2005. And he like published it and, and responded to me in email. And I was like, it, it kind of gave me this validation of what I thought. Uh, and what I believed in. And so I was always like well-studied and well, and I, I would talk to people about it for, I'd bore them to death talking about (laughs) what a a market this could be. And, you know, a lot, I got a lot of pushback, no, no doubt, a lot of pushback from people that didn't think this was a good enough market. You know, they'd be like, oh, Boston, blah, 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 or Toronto, (laughs) we have rinks everywhere. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But like, Come on, it's about growth and the opportunity and the city's growing. So, um, and so I kind of just started a mailing mailing list, uh, like a newsletter, and to my friends because I knew a lot of hockey people by then in the area, and they'd add people and get more people. And then, uh, you know, I have no idea when I started the Facebook page and the Twitter account and then the, the actual blog. But um, uh, and then when the Sonics, kind of the return of the Sonics, came back with Chris Hansen's movement and the potential mm-hmm. arena down in Soto, I was like. Here it is. This is our, this is the biggest thing that the biggest blocker was the arena. Right. And, and he advocated, he brought hockey into the mix or it was part of the, the marketing language, if you will, that it would bring hockey and, and the NBA. Um, they weren't hockey fans per se, but, um, I was a big fan of hockey and obviously I'm like, well, somebody needs to be this voice to rally the hockey people. Cause I, I knew there was a lot of hockey people, but we all root for different teams. So it's hard to like connect 
with each other when we're all rooting for different teams. I always felt that is that, yep. you know, you don't talk about the game last night because everybody's watching a different game. And so you don't know who to talk to. Now, if the Mariners are playing, people can talk about the Mariners, but you know, so I always thought that was a, that was a challenge to connect people. So I was just trying to bring people together and say, there's hockey. And I remember when I got over 300 followers or likes on Facebook, I'm like, holy crap, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> Were you, were you surprised by how quickly that that community grew? Because it feels like it did grow. As, as did it grow when Hanson started showing up, or was it already growing before that hockey talk started happening again? I I had no idea what to expect, uh-huh. honestly, and so it wasn't like a question of uh, sur- I wasn't surprised or kind of underwhelmed either. I had I just had no idea. Um, and and Facebook and Twitter they were all different things. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like really what it is today. But um, I was I mean basketball dominated the conversation like all the news nobody talked about hockey nobody talked about hockey now there was one thing that i don't know if you remember council member mike o'brien um when this stuff first came up i i sent email to every hockey person i knew and said please send an email to you know these city council members the mayor blah 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 and say you're a hockey fan and you support this project that this is the soto um arena and I remember Mike O'Brien giving an interview and saying something like, I was surprised how many hockey people. <laughs> and I was like, that is my impact, right? And and it's important because this this came up later in the in the saga, if you will, is that people needed to realize that there was a hockey community. Cause if there wasn't, then it then it might not be worth a, a project worth funding or supporting. And and so that comes up later in the key arena, uh, redevelopment that was huge so making sure we got hockey people in the, the chamber can- councils to say no no no. there's there's a big hockey community like and i know you guys have probably seen this photo of um paul buxton and i at the first soto kind of joint city council king county council meeting where it's him and i and it's a sea of green behind us there were a few other hockey people there but it looked like all Sonics fans and then Paul and I. And and I'll never forget that because like we both were working on the east side and had to take off work and head down there. And it's like we're just showing our support because we're hockey people and we support this project from a hockey perspective. But there wasn't anybody following back then. And, and as that community built and you, you mentioned the influence and uh, I, I know you started getting you started hearing from people who are interested in bringing teams here. You know, who, who have you? Who approached you over the years uh, just to kind of get your interest or, or ga- gauge your input on whether or not Seattle was a hockey town? There's probably three or four ownership groups that I, potential ownership groups that I interacted with in some capacity. Um, and I'm not going to name everybody, but other than the current one, um, they're obviously the only ones around anymore. But there was some interactions, but I never felt really supported by them. Let let me back up. So occasionally they would reach out, but they never kind of brought me under the tent and like asked to ask me to help or do anything like that. And that, which is fine. Like, I'm like, well, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, Conversely, when OVG came in, they at least were transparent about what they were trying to do and definitely wanted to kind of partner with me, wanted my support and by extension, the community support, the hockey community support, because they said all along, they're going to bring hockey here. And believe it or not, I've heard that many times from other people. And I'm like, okay, but I'm going to support anybody. True story. I met with a relatively casual meeting with Tim Lewicki um, and somebody else from OVG and a couple of the local people. And he just kind of told me his plan to bring a team here. And it was a time when people said, 
no chance is the NHL ever going to bring a team to Key Arena. People would tell me that all the time. And I told Tim, I'm like, I'm going to support anybody who brings hockey, right? That is my objective, not to be buddy-buddy with anybody, but it's really to bring hockey here. And I don't know, I mean, it, it seemed like he received that well, but I, I was just convinced that I don't know who it'll be because at the same time, there was one other person kicking around the Bellevue. Um, and going back, like even before OVG arrived, he he allegedly was the financer of of everything. And he said he needed some local investors. So I, I literally tried to think of the richest people I knew in the area <laughs> that might be interested, that might be interested in being part owner of a hockey team. And I, so there's two, two people I, I reached out to uh, is Gabe Newell. He's the president and owner of Valve Software. And I didn't know him at all, but I had a gaming background. I worked in Xbox for a while. And so I at least was a little bit of an icebreaker, but it was literally a blind email saying, hey, I know this is a long shot, but would you be interested in being a potential owner for the NHL franchise coming to Seattle. And this was when none of, there wasn't a lot of momentum and public knowledge. And then he, he responded. He's like, Hey, hockey's not my thing. Good luck. And I was like, Holy crap. He even got back to me, which I was like blown away. And then another one was Robbie Bach, who used to be, um, basically president of Xbox. I didn't, I never knew him, met him or worked with him when I was in Xbox, but he had since left Microsoft. But I was like, he's the only one in the ballpark of that I could get a hold of. So I sent him another blind email and he actually responded as well too. Um, and just said, it's not my, not my bag. Sorry, but good luck on yours. And I thought that was like, but like that, those are like the, the things I went, the extent I went to, um, th- those are kind of rare examples that I would do stuff like that. But I would do anything to bring hockey here. And that was the objective all along. So um, anyway, I don't even know what the original question was. (laughs) (laughs) I don't either. Uh, No, yeah, it was about who you kind of met along the way and who was supportive and who wasn't. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So I think that touches on that pretty well. But um, what were some of the highs and lows of, and obviously the high point was when the team officially got awarded to the city. But um, I mean, other than that, though, right? Like, what were some of the, the peaks and valleys that you experienced over the years? There were a lot. There were a lot. And a lot of it was like, I learned how to interpret political news as well. The highs and lows of political news, and some is political posturing, and some is some is real. And uh, definitely the low at the time, at the time was when the Soto Arena got the street vacation. Some of our listeners may actually not know the whole backstory of the street vacation. So the street vacation was related to the Soto uh, Arena group. Um, but the, the Soto Arena plan started to lose momentum when Steve Ballmer bought the LA Clippers and left that group. Um, so... It was definitely seemed like the group didn't have the money. I mean, you can't replace Steve Ballmer, right? One of the richest guys in the world um, that easy. And that that project needed a lot of funding, at least needed to um, show that they could build an arena. And that started to falter. But but that still, the street vacation vote still was going to happen with the contingency that they build if they get a team. Now, it didn't seem like the NBA was coming here anytime soon obviously because they're still not here um but that was kind of the background on that and there was some also some political pressure from uh the neighborhood certain key members of the neighborhood one being the port the other being the seahawks the mariners all were really opposed to that street vacation and basically that meant that they needed to eliminate a main street right to be able to build the arena right because because you know that's the average size of an arena goes multiple blocks so right 
theoretically in that block is a street. Um, mm-hmm. And so in this project is no different. Um, so anyway, it was a big, big, big vote in city council chambers. And usually I've learned that a lot of the time city council goes to vote, you know, which way it's going to go. But so nobody really knew which way it was going to go. Um, but they were basically pushing for a vote. Somebody was pushing for a vote. And so they voted on it. And I was in council chambers and I testified in support of it and it got rejected. And so once that got rejected, it was like, holy crap, like it's back to square one. We have no arena. Now, I believe I tweeted something or I would reference it a little bit. It might be a blessing in disguise for hockey because I think people would not um, would not come to Seattle or would not come for a project if that contingent arena had been green, greenlit down there. So nobody would kind of come in because of the competition or the likelihood. And most most of the, the basketball fans supported Chris Hansen. And so if a hockey person were to come in here and that arena was already greenlit, I, I just don't think it would happen. I don't think hockey would have come or they might've gone to Bellevue. And that's also the same time you started to hear about the um, Tukwila Arena, uh, which would, would have been a, a pretty tough sell, I think. Um, but I still would have supported it. That was like, that was probably in retrospect, that was a low light. But it was it was probably what opened the door for NHL actually coming here because I think nine months later or so um, the mayor at the time announced that they were going to put up RFP for Key Arena and see if that could be done and mm-hmm. then enter Oakview Group and that's when Tim Lewicki came involved and and the background I knew who Tim was before because he was the president of uh, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. He worked at the Kings. I don't know what his title was there, but as a VP or president of the LA Kings. And so I'm like, this is a hockey person. And so that was pretty cool. In the meantime, somebody in Bellevue was kind of trying to work out an arena deal as well, but that just didn't seem to go anywhere. That, I, I mean, I literally would talk to that guy for multiple years on and off and nothing publicly would ever get announced. So, so at least that street vacation vote may have brought hockey here, believe it or not. Um, but probably the high, the, the biggest moment was probably the ticket drive. Mm. Um, because when the NHL announced that they were going to accept a, an expansion application from Seattle, I, that was huge. That was huge. That was huge. But I wasn't sure about the ticket drive. So that was that ended up happening about five month, four or five months later. Um, and I was terrified all week leading up to it <laughs> because I did not know if people would show up. Right. I did not know if people would show up. Keep in mind, I'd been, you know, I talked about talking to prior owners and, and never, nobody ever really asked and, and asked me of things, asked me to get involved or this ownership group was different, right? They would communicate with me on what, what their plans are and they would let me know, um, the, the process, but they never, never let me know the league was that close to, uh, looking at expansion for us. Hmm. I was talking to a guy before the last city council vote on the key arena uh, redevelopment. And the guy, I'm like, he's like, oh yeah, the NHL should move pretty quickly. That's all he said. <laughs> and I'm like, well, to me, quickly in this process is years. Yeah. It was literally years because- It had been years. I'd been working on this <laughs> yeah. first eight years, right? And I would have been fine with that. If he said, oh, maybe a year or two down the road, I would have been fine with that. It happened four days later, they announced it. Right. It was insane because it like the vote was like on a Monday or Tuesday. And then the NHL announcement was at the winter board board of governors meeting uh, on like a Thursday or Friday. It was insane. 
It was like the most insane week. But I was still terrified about that ticket drive because that's that we needed to show the support. And I was freaking out like, what if what if we don't show up? What if there isn't enough people? Right. I had no intel. I, I just had what I felt based on the people I know. But but my circle is different. Right. Or it's 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 my circle. That's not a proxy for the, the city. So I had no idea. I mean, I, I thought their opportunity was here, but I was like terrified. I actually bought Facebook advertising to advertise to people in my group that the ticket drive was happening, right? I literally <laughs> paid my own money uh-huh. out of my pocket and just said, okay, make sure everybody is aware because I would lose sleep. I was like, what if nobody shows up? This is my one chance where I need everybody to kind of buy in and be aware. And so, uh, but that ticket drive, and I, I don't know if I've, I think I've told probably both of you guys about this, but I was, that ticket drive was at like, it opened at 9 a.m. And then at 10 a.m. they were raising a flag on the Space Needle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and uh, I, they asked me to be there. And I was like <laughs> the only quote unquote fan, quote unquote. And so, but by then it was like, holy crap, we did it. And that's yeah. where I thought it was locked, right? That's where I thought, oh my God, this is incredible. We did it. And like, it was like probably the most emotional day of my, of my journey in this thing. It was, so I'm getting chills thinking about it. You used to always, also always tell us, though, you're not going to really believe what's happening until you're sitting in the arena watching the first puck dropper. Was that? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Are you, that's are you true, over that now? Are you over that now? Was that, was that moment the moment? <laughs> yeah, that was the moment, right? Uh, that was the moment. It's always like you just this. This was such a big roller coaster, right? There are other times where I thought we were way closer than we really were. Yeah, right. I just was naive to the process, but this this felt different. Um, this really felt different, and uh, not to mention like blowing it out of the water. It's one thing to like hit the ten thousand mark by in a week, sure. right? Which would have been great. Which would have been like six weeks faster than than Vegas did. Yeah, right. But to do it in you know, 12 minutes, forget about it. <laughs> All right. Well, John Barr, you've been great with your time. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, this wraps up our interview with, uh, with John Barr. All right. Thank you again to John Barr for joining us. Uh, we now move on to our segments. That was weird, man. That was weird. <laughs> Have you guys ever in your work life had to interview, uh, like for a promotion with a company that you already are working for and interview yeah. with people that you already are working for? That's what that was like. Yeah, it was. It was fun. That was good, though. You did great, John. Yeah, really good. Uh, and our first segment is everyone's favorite segment, uh, except for that one person on the <laughs> survey that said he or she wanted less Goalie Gear Corner. It's Goalie Gear Corner! <laughs> this week's Goalie Gear Corner uh, features two... Uh, Swedish netminders. Jacob Markstrom is back on the ice, and this is why it features Swedish netminders, is because they're allowed to skate in Sweden. Uh, but Jacob Markstrom has revealed that he's got a brand new mask, and it's sharp. I don't have too much to say about it. I've always, it, it's basically just uh, like a pretty simple Canucks motif. It's like a chromey silver, and it's got the Canucks C with the whale on both sides of it. Um, I've always been kind of anti these types of masks that are just like the team motif like without anything real personal about it um but it's well done i mean it's it's a sharp clean looking mask so i like it on the whole i wish there was something a little bit more um like more of a personal connection on it it does have one of those in the back of it he has a he has a word papa written which is apparently for his ah, father gotcha. okay and I, I would agree it's, it's, it's nice it's not 
you know, over the top. I do like it better than that ear mask he wore. Uh-huh. Yeah, you hate <laughs> the ear mask. That's true. Made, made me uncomfortable yeah. even looking at it. Uh, I love it. I love that one. <laughs> he had a two-tone mask last year that I actually kind of like. Wait, liked. you like the ear mask or this silvery one, John? The silvery one. Got it. The okay. new one. Uh-huh. I But there's a chance he never he never wears that for the Canucks, right? It's true. If we don't restart and he's a UFA, so. <laughs> you never know. Uh, you never know in a COVID world. Our other goalie gear corner entry comes from <laughs> the king himself, Henrik Lundqvist, who also is back on the ice in Sweden. And he revealed uh, that he's wearing a brand new set of ultrasonic pads. It's very similar in design to what he's had before with the Statue of Liberty in the middle. Um, but it just looks a little bit different. I know in the past, sometimes he's had like the, the roof of Madison Square Garden. So that's not there. Um, but uh, I mean, very, very customized here for his brand. One thing I don't like about it is that the way that they aligned the Statue of Liberty on his catch glove, like when he's holding it open, she's like upside down, which I don't quite get that. I feel like they could have turned her. That would have made a little bit more sense. But other than that, I think it's a pretty sharp look. What makes these pads ultrasonic? Ooh, uh, they're, they're more sonic than the previous version. So, <laughs> is that like substantial concrete? Exactly. Work? Yep. Just the the higher the sonic, uh, v- like levels, the more that you can be uh, ultrasonic. So I'm pretty sure that's how okay. it works. Interesting. I, I didn't realize the the, the audio component of goaltending. Yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I, I mean, most of it is by <laughs> by hear by hearing. Um, you know, sight is not that important. Um, you, hear, okay. you hear the you hear the puck whistling past you. Is that what you hear? Uh, no, never, never. We move on to our weekly. One-timers. Our first weekly one-timer. The PWHPA is setting up hub sites for next season. What does this mean? Well, they're changing the hub sites uh, this season. So they're basically listening to some feedback and trying to have a high caliber of games. And so they've got five hub cities, um, Toronto, Calgary, Montreal, New Hampshire, and Minnesota. So some of those uh, were existence last time, but I think Buffalo existed last time, last year. And so that's no longer uh, a, a city, but they're also trying to kind of raise the ability and level. So there might even be tri- tryouts associated to the, so it's kind of interesting. And this, what do they do in these hub cities though? This is like where they practice or I, what are they doing exactly? Yeah. Uh, I think it's to help coordinate like practice and kind of skills coaches and then potentially play games here and there. Um, but it's, it's basically just to, to make sure everybody's centralized and try to keep the caliber and keep people training. Like what, you know, we talked to Annie last week and then, mm-hmm. uh, even Hillary Knight, when we talked to her, talked about how challenging it was. Both of them said it's extremely challenging to, to play without a team or practice without a team. And so this is trying to make up for that gap. Uh, and our other weekly one timer, Alice Hemsky has officially announced his retirement from hockey. Uh, interesting. The thing that sticks out for me about Alice Hemsky is remember when Patrick Stepan, uh, he was with the Dallas Stars and he was skating in to uh, like score a very easy empty netter and the puck rolled off his stick and then the Oilers went the other way and scored. Alice Hemsky was the one that actually scored the goal at the other end. So um, that's what sticks out for me as a highlight in Alice Hemsky's career and a low light in Patrick Stepan's career. Um <laughs> But anyway, I mean, he was a good player. I don't know. I feel like he's one of those guys that had a lot of skill, but never really became like a, a star player. Yeah. He always felt like he had more skill than it, than production-wise, if that makes sense. But anyway, a good long career for him, and congratulations on that. And I'm sure he's listening. And uh, <laughs> we go, close out go, the Alice. show. Way to go. 
Yeah, we close out the show with tweets of the week. Uh, so my tweet of the week, you guys know this other really, really annoying meme that's been going around where people just tweet a, a like an older logo oh, and yeah. then they say, who is the first player you think of when you see this logo? So uh, somebody had the like the older Tampa Bay Lightning logo for this and Steve Dangle retweeted it and said that the first player he thinks of is Darren Poopa, P-U-P-P-A. So Darren Poopa was like an early 90s goalie for the Tampa mm-hmm. Bay Lightning, and I think he played for the Sabres but, also. Yeah, he did. He did play for yeah. the Sabres, yeah. So I had a hard time with that name because as a goalie myself named Darren, uh, a lot of people called me Darren Poopa <laughs> when I was a kid. So um, anyway, it was interesting to see that name come up, and, and I actually hate this little this meme that's going around, but I uh, thought it was funny to see that. Andy, that Andy did one. I did do one, yeah. What, which one did you do, Andy? The old Seattle Breakers uh, logo. Oh, that's right. Okay. And I got some who, good responses. Who's the first player that you think of? Uh, Tim Hunter. Even though we didn't wear that logo, we wore a different one for the Breakers, but Tim Hunter is mine. Uh, I did respond to one. It was the Arizona Cardinals, and I responded and said Cuba Gooding Jr. So, <laughs> John, do you have a tweet of the week? That should be John's tweet of the week. <laughs> I do not. I was getting bit. I was... Somebody was interviewing me. I had to do an interview, so I didn't uh, get a okay. chance. Uh, You're yeah, prepping. Yeah. You're prepping. Andy? Yeah. Well, I, I scrambled, um, found one just before we started recording, so it's not going to be high quality. And I don't even know that it's funny. I don't just sell yourself it was, short. You know, it was smile-inducing. It was uh, charming even, maybe. Uh, but it was everybody's favorite NHL referee, Wes McCauley. We all know mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And he did, I, I think this was a TikTok video, the NHL tweeted out, but it was his whole family, his kids, and they were all doing a little dance where they were all in a line, and then one peeled off, and he was at the end. They all were wearing referee jerseys, which I thought was pretty cute. <laughs> Interesting. So, not funny, but but it was it was amusing, and you know, we all need some laughter in this these hard times. Good to know that the rules are being enforced inside his household. Very <laughs> That's right. <so>. That's right. <laughs> all right, this wraps up episode 87 of Sound of Hockey. Thank you very much to John Barr for joining us. Uh <laughs> <laughs> hey, leave us a review. It's been a while since we've gotten one, and we like yeah, to start our show by le- reading the reviews because usually there's some funny stuff in there. So um, leave us one on iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Stitcher. Subscribe on Spotify. And we will talk to you all very soon. Thanks so much. Cheers. Let's go.